No, I said, who wants to hear a gripping sermon on silence and solitude? Mm. No. Well, um, if you don't know, I'm a voluntary police chaplain, and I'm attached over with Surrey Police over there. I actually focus on an on a t- emergency response team. They're called APT. So I go out with them every now and again, about once a month, and I, I often visit them once a week. But I was out with them on Monday night, and... Um, Basically, uh, I was with an officer in a car. We got a call to really try and get to someone who was in a bit of danger near Woking. So, you know, it goes crazy. The siren's going. Uh, the lights are flashing. The driver, the police officer, is, is honking his horn. We're trying to get people out of the way. And uh, we're going, 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 going. And basically... Um, uh, his sat-nav sort of dropped out, and uh, I said, and I really, as soon as I said this, I thought, why did I say that? I said, do you want me to direct you? <laughs> and I'm dyslexic. I'm really bad. I, I seriously, I'm, I'm worried about if I'm going to get home tonight after the service. And so anyway, so I get the postcode of where this person is. I put it in my iPhone, and it seems to be working, and then they've moved. We're here, so I put this Google Maps that dropped out. So then, believe it or not, we have, we have two people speaking, directions going to different places on the phone, the sirens going, then someone starts phoning me and WhatsApping me, and I just thought, this is absolutely crazy. What? This is absolutely extraordinary. And I want to suggest that's a picture of modern life. Busy, crazy, 100 miles an hour, uh, we're going, 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 uh, lots of things happening all at once. And I want to think about this this evening very briefly. Now, the thing is, we could talk about silence and solitudes from all sorts of different angles. But what I want to do tonight is talk about it from a, from a digital age perspective. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, from a digital age uh, perspective. And uh, uh, you'll see, uh, actually, uh, on this slide that says digital age, um, the digital age is really, really new. We live in the digital age. It started in 2007, apparently, would you believe, with the launch of the iPhone, Facebook, Twitter, the App Store, Intel, and the cloud. That's when it officially uh, started. And basically, uh, it's clear that the world is changing fast, uh, phenomenally fast. And um, from a technological point of view, things have just dramatically changed very, very quickly. And uh, I'll give you uh, a few examples. I want to just run through this to highlight uh, the change and the speed of change. Now, uh, I'm not going to get you to put your hand up, but if you were born between 1946 and 1964, it makes you a baby boomer. Your post-war generation. The big technical thing for you guys was TV coming in. It was the TV came in. And it was a massive thing. It was a massive deal. Now, after the baby boomers born between 1965 and 79 were Gen X people. Don't worry too much about all these details. But I, I'm a Gen X person, so I'm not a baby boomer. Uh, but actually, uh, we uh, experienced the arrival of computers coming in. And so uh, we didn't, I remember as a boy, the, the words uh, computers coming in, not everyone had them, no one had a mobile phone, no one had a smartphone, but I do remember uh, my rich friend Giles having a thing called a ZX81. Does anyone remember those? It was like this, there's quite a few people around the room. They were like calculators, they weren't sleek, they weren't flash, as far as I could work out, they're impossible to use, okay. Uh, that was the ZX81. Then uh, the millennials of the next generation, 
born 1977 to 95. Have we got any millennials in the room? So there's quite a few people. For you guys, actually, what you witnessed was basically uh, computers uh, coming into the home for the first time en masse for most people in the developed world. You're called your generation digital natives, and uh, uh, you're very familiar with this stuff. So hearing of a time pre uh, all of this seems a bit strange. Now, the other thing to say is you're not the latest generation. So if you're 20 and under, you're a gen Generation Z. You're uh, basically the first generation, uh, actually, that's been brought up, unlike the millennials, with the phone in your pocket, accessible all the time. That's quite unusual. I never experienced that. But people 20 years and under have this um, uh, experience. And basically, it's, it's fair to say that a 14-year-old in 2018 is very different to a 14-year-old in 2008. Things are changing so fast. And uh, things are moving. The way we do life is changing. And actually, um, these, these um, technology is changing how we relate to people and how, how we live our whole life. And uh, people are struggling to keep up. They actually think Generation Z might be the last generation of all because things are going to change so fast, you're not going to be able to have generations. It will just, it's going to move so fast. Uh, so are you with me so far? How do we uh, respond to the digital age then? Well, the first thing you've got to say is it's been hugely beneficial and amazing in many respects. And one thing I love is uh, my WhatsApp groups. I don't know about you, but I've got, I, I keep in touch with my university mates. I would never be able to do that uh, uh, other than through my phone in an easy way. And uh, there's been huge developments in healthcare, life, uh, uh, education, energy production. Uh, amazing thing. So uh, the, the, the arrival of the digital age in human life has been a great blessing, I want to suggest tonight. Secondly, uh, I want to say the digital age, though, is what's known as an attention economy in a way that we haven't experienced before. Are you with me? Are you focused? So basically, all the phones, all the technology competes for your attention. And now the winners are people who can get your attention most and get you most to use your phone, be they app companies, uh, Apple, whatever it is, whatever, whatever your phone is. And it, they want your attention, and they're seeking to get your attention, make you use your phone in very, very powerful ways. The, way they want, the reason they want you to do that is so that they can make lots of money. That's how they make money. You use their uh, products and what have you. And the final thing is... Uh, it's probably worth saying, though, is that actually uh, the digital age also has come at a huge human cost. There's, there's, there are huge disadvantages of the digital age. Are you with me so far? So, for example, um, you know, uh, there's this quote, smartphones are really hard to put down, the buzzing of push notifications, the nagging red bubbles on apps, and endless feeds create the perfect storm of distractions. And research is saying, actually, we're incredibly distracted, more than we've ever been before uh, as a human race. And they're saying, uh, actually, studies would say, our attention span has dropped considerably. So even in the last four years, in 2014, guess how long the average attention span was? 12.5 seconds. Um, so actually, by... Uh, 2017, it's gone to eight seconds, because everything's hyper. 
we lose interest very, very fast. So basically, uh, the, the digital age is distracting. We're always available, and we're always assaulted with various things all the time. Uh, and uh, this is quite a new thing for human beings and human experience. And of course, there's an addictive side to this as well. And uh, you know, um, there's, I won't read out this long quote, but basically, uh, you know, um, it, they're, they're showing that actually the digital age is making it very difficult for us to live balanced lives and also make good prioritized decision and uh, actually use our energy well. And basically, um, they, they would say a smartphone now is like a big slot machine. And uh, you get really hooked to it. And uh, you get dopamine hits. And the web developers know this. So they, they, they set this up in a certain way, whereby you get massive dopamine hits. You'll feel good uh, by checking certain things. And uh, you can actually get addicted to anything, apparently. Um, sports news, the news, porn. Um, whatever it is that is your thing. And what's interesting is that things are deliberately set up so that it's very unpredictable what level of dopamine hit you're going to get. So there's this whole, what's going to happen for your brain thinking what's going to happen. and takes you back again and again to your phone. So um, I don't know how you feel about that. So the digital age has benefits. The digital age uh, is an age where our attention is constantly pulled off somewhere else. We're partially attentive most of the time. And also, there's a, there's a downside to it. And uh, we know about fake news. We know about some of the mental health studies that are coming out. We, 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 we know actually about the addictive qualities of some of these things. And um, so that's the context into which I want to just think about. So come back to me to the police car on Monday night. We, we're driving around trying to find a person. We can't find them, so we head back to Guildford. And uh, we're in the area of Guildford. And uh, we get a call that from a park keeper who's trying to lock up a park in Guildford, that there's someone lying on the floor, unresponsive. They've tried to uh, get their attention, uh, but they're in real trouble. So we, we go there, and we get there. There's two ambulances there. Uh, there's four paramedics just hunched over this man's body, and uh, he's totally uh, uh, unresponsive. And I turned up. I have to wear this uh, stab vest covered with a um, very unattractive uh, high-vis jacket with the big words chaplain on the front and the back. And so I turn up. It, it wouldn't be a garment of choice. And I, I turn up, and the park keeper says to me, oh, I wish you weren't here. And I thought, I said, oh, are you OK? And they said, actually, if you come to administer last rites. And uh, I said, hopefully not. And so the guys are taking this guy's pulse. They're trying to uh, get him round. I want to suggest, actually, uh, that picture of unresponsiveness, experts are saying, is where we've ended up in the digital age often. We are unresponsive to God most of the time. We're unresponsive to other people much of the time. And we're even unresponsive to ourselves much of the time because we're, we're, we're sort of in this uh, ether and uh, we're dis distracted and unable to, um, 
you know, focus and be present and do all these things. And uh, actually, it's so normal, we don't even notice, but actually, we're in trouble. We need paramedics. We need people to come often and check we're okay. And uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I make that point not sort of in a, in a um, superficial kind of way. I think this is important. And actually, the digital age is lethal to our spiritual life. Uh, at the end of the day. And uh, Andrew Sullivan writes this in the New York Times. His, his essay or his article is entitled, I used to be a human being. He writes this, commenting on the distracting tendencies of the digital age, the, there are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be lived, and I realize that this is in some ways just another tale in the vast book of human frailty. But this new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness, and its threat is no, not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure we're all under. The threat ultimately is to our souls. And... Um, uh, there's a spiritual threat from the environment we sort of live in. And uh, this other guy, Ronald Rollheiser, says we're distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. So um, I don't know whether you agree with that or not, but I do want to ask this question. In light of this, what can we do about this? Is there a practice that would help us thrive in the middle of all this? Yes, there is, and it is. Silence and solitude is uh, what we need to seek in amidst the busyness. And um, I'm not going to read all of this, but I want to uh, just think about Matthew 4. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, you, you know it very, very well. Matthew 4, 1 to 3. One to three. Uh, I won't do the whole uh, uh, event, but Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? You've probably noticed, or I've found it strange, that Jesus is baptized. The voice from heaven comes. You're my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And then the spirit leads God into the wilderness. Why on earth uh, is that? Now, the word desert here that the spirit leads Jesus into is the Greek word eremos. And it means wilderness, desert, deserted place, solitary place, quiet place, lonely place. That's what that Greek word means. This is the desert to which Jesus is led uh, into. And basically, um, why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the Eremos, into the wilderness? Why does he do that? Now, often traditional teaching says, well, actually, what it was all about, Jesus goes into the wilderness, the Eremos, and he basically gets to his weakest point, and he's at his most vulnerable. And it's a great place of weakness, uh, the, 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 the desert, if you like, the Eremos. Uh, and he manages, even in his weakness, to overthrow Satan and not uh, succumb to Satan's temptations. You know what they are. However, I want to suggest tonight that actually the desert is not a place of weakness. It's a place of strength. This place of silence and solitude is a place of strength. And what's fascinating, if you, if you track the life of Jesus, is... His ministry starts in the Eremos in the wilderness for 40 days. He's led there. But for the rest of his life, he often withdraws into silence and solitude. And I want to give you just a few quick uh, examples. So, for example, let's look at Mark's gospel. 
Um, this is um, uh, just uh, his first day as the Messiah. Jesus basically, it's a full-on day. He calls his first disciples. He drives out an evil spirit. Then he heals a lot of people. Then we read verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, the Eremos, where he prayed. So very early on, he's electing to go back into the Eremos, a place of silence and solitude. And this is a pattern in the life of Jesus. It was a practice woven into his life. You see this with the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 30 to 33. The apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all they'd done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, to a quiet place where we can get some rest. And uh, notice uh, he doesn't say, come on, let's hang out, watch Netflix and eat some ice cream. He, he actually says, come on, let's go into the wilderness, into the Eremos uh, together, into silence and solitude. And um, uh, again, the word here is that same Greek word. And um, Jesus, you see, calls us into the Eremos, into the wilderness. And uh, it, it, we, we need to uh, be people who recognize this and see this in his life. And uh, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm an introvert, or uh, this is easy to me, or actually, I don't do that, I'm an extrovert, um, don't do that sort of thing, actually. You know, Jesus doesn't say to the disciples, you know, introverts, come with me, uh, we're going into the Aramos, uh, extroverts, stay with Peter, you can play Fortnite. He actually, he actually calls them all in uh, regularly uh, into this withdrawing pattern into silence and solitariness. And basically, um, one of the interesting things is uh, Jesus models perfect human life. He is uh, the, the great example of what healthy, vibrant, uh, godly life is. And what he models in his life is extrovert tendencies. I mean, he's busy, he's activist, he's full on, he's relational, he does life with other people, he lives with other people. But he also models in his perfect humanity that that, that solitary, silent life um, too. So we need to be mindful of that as we think about this. And what's fascinating is basically uh, the busier he gets, the more he does it. Um, the busier he gets, the more pressure and stress, the more he withdraws. And uh, I won't go through all of this, but he's someone who seeks out silence and solitude. And uh, I don't know what your attitude is to silence and solitude. I've had a funny attitude to it over the years. I think when I came to faith about 25 years ago, I thought, that's just a bit of a waste of time, isn't it? Just sitting still doing nothing. Let's be activists. Let's go and get something done. But as I've followed God, as I've gone on with God, uh, I see um, actually the real benefit of this. And his activism was founded in his contemplation and in his silence and uh, solitude. And actually what happens when you follow God is uh, he, he matures you, he grows uh, uh, your spirituality. And if you're a real introvert, what tends to happen is you'll become more extroverted over the years as you follow Jesus. And if you're a real extrovert, you'll probably become a bit more introvert because uh, he's trying to uh, bring healing and for you to be a person who models uh, both of those things. 
And uh, Henry Nguyen says this, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take our spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen uh, to him. So there's a real challenge in this. And I want to just unpack this whole thing of silence and solitude. Are you ready? Hands up if you're still awake. It's, uh, yeah, most of you. Are you ready for this? So silence basically has two dimensions. Uh, external silence, when it's quiet around you, there's no music, traffic, etc. there's no talking, that's sort of external silence. But there's also internal silence as well, where we free ourselves from the mental clutter, the monkeys in our heads, all those crazy thoughts, the fantasies, the revenge, the anxieties, the hatred, the, the stress, the pressure, all this sort of stuff. Uh, silence actually is when we quieten both of those things, the external and the, into, and the internal. And then secondly, solitude. What's solitude? Uh, actually, solitude is this sense of actually being uh, on your own. And it's not, it's not about being lonely or isolated, but it's choosing to actually spend time uh, on your own in solitude. And what's brilliant is that silence and solitude often go together really, really well, a bit like fish and chips or um, ant and deck or um, I don't know, uh, marmite and toast or uh, Torval and Dean if you're a boomer or, uh, you know, you remember those ice skaters. So um, it's important that we think about this in our distracted age. And I want to just really um, run through what happens when you withdraw into silence and solitude? Okay, are you ready? Are you feeling excited? Yes? Okay, number one, you actually decompress. You decompress. You see, unlike any other generations in modern times, we are on 24-7, uh, assaulted with information. Uh, uh, we, we, through the internet, are uh, constantly expected to be available all the time. And when you actually uh, go for silence and solitude, you actually, uh, in our non-stop stimulation of society, you can actually stop that. When you stop that, even for a moment, you actually start to decompress and breathe. And uh, that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is you move from a place of escapism into engagement and presence and attentiveness. So actually, uh, one, of the, one of the great things, uh, uh, one of the great dangers of, of the digital age is that uh, uh, there's more opportunities than ever to escape and to run from yourself and to basically... Um, uh, distract yourself, TV, shopping, porn, uh, sports stuff. I found myself looking at something the other night. I got down, you sort of go down a rabbit hole with the internet, don't you? I, I, I sort of thought, that's quite interesting. Oh, that's, I like that poem. Who's that? Okay, they're Polish. Okay, we're in Polish. Oh, let's learn about the town then. Oh, okay, and what was their sister like? Oh, okay. And you, after about 45 minutes, I'm like, oh my good, you know, what was all that about? I didn't really... Do you know what I mean? So you can lose uh, your presence and attentiveness, and you can actually uh, uh, end up uh, escaping. And we use all sorts of things to, uh, to escape, don't we? Alcohol, busyness, um, whatever it might be. So uh, that's the second thing. The third thing, and this is quite weird, okay? When you go into loneliness and solitude, watch the, 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 the first person you actually meet is yourself. 
Do you ever feel like you're chasing your tail, like you're not really, what's happening? What happens, actually, when we go into silence and solitude is that we face our insecurities, our addictions, uh, we face our fantasies, our fears, and actually, we, we kind of meet ourselves, and uh, we, we become uh, attuned to ourselves. And uh, it's amazing how, actually, in life, you can, you can basically live a whole life and never encounter yourself. I reckon I met myself for the first time when I was about 35. Um, it's, an odd, it's an odd thing to say, I know, but do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, a few of you do, thanks for that. You felt sorry for me, didn't you? Um, so that's, uh, that's uh, what happens. And it's always challenging meeting yourself. In many respects, it's wonderful, and you think, yes, uh, that's great, that's great. And another, another sense, when you meet yourself, actually, you, you, you actually realize actually who you are in real terms. Your strengths, your weaknesses, the stuff you wish you were but you're not. Uh, and uh, that's a wonderful thing because God calls us to live in reality and in truth. And uh, we have to uh, be able to be people who really do encounter ourselves and are authentic and real. Now, who else do you think you meet? Fourthly, you've got it. You meet God too, don't you? Uh, in the silence and solitude. This is, the, this is the point. This is why it's actually very, very important in the spiritual life. And uh, meeting God is actually quite full on, in my experience. And God is loving. He's gracious. He's got our best interests at heart. He's wonderful. But also, he's, I find him quite hard to be with at times. Uh, you know, that presence of surrendered love, uh, that presence of the awesome nature of God. I find it quite difficult to be in his presence a lot of the time. And uh, but when you're in the silence and the solitude, you encounter God and people tend to find meeting God quite challenging. That's why in the Bible, the most common um, uh, spoken phrase between God and someone he meets in the Bible is what? It's fear not, don't be frightened. Don't worry. <laughs> fear not. And so this is why it's really, really important that we meet with God. And when we actually encounter him, um, actually, uh, he restores you. He reminds you of how beautiful and lovely you are. He reminds you of all those dreams he's given you. He brings healing to your life and restoration and puts you back together again. This is why it's so important to be people who um, do know how to uh, find silence and solitude. So how do you do this in practice? Well, you need to, I want to suggest, I've got three practical strategies for you. Four. Are you ready? And I'm going to end this fast. Just be a bit self-aware. You know, how much time do you spend in silence and solitude? Um, are you an introvert or extrovert? Um, also, as you think about this, what's your life stage? Um, you know, uh, do you have the opportunity to find silence and solitude? Um, have you got young kids? Have you got kids under four? Have you, you know, all those things. Are you a mum? You know, is there a lot going on? You know, think about your life stage and, and how you can do this. And just remember, there's no formulas here at all uh, in terms of how you do this. But just become self-aware and I would try and um, uh, experiment. I would secondly develop healthy habits with your smartphone. I was watching um, some of my children swim recently and every single parent was not talking to one another but just checking their phone. 
not watching their kids. They're all over there. And then I went out for dinner recently, and the couple on the table next to us, they weren't talking. They were just checking their phone. So you need to have uh, healthy habits around your phone, you know. And uh, one thing Bex and I have done, we don't take our phones upstairs anymore. And that's been, that's been really fantastic because I'm not in bed uh, last thing at night thinking or waking up in the morning thinking I better check the email. Blah, blah, blah. But it's just, it's, 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 you know, get some, good, uh, get some good habits around that. And then uh, thirdly, just experiment with silence and solitude. You could spend five minutes a day, literally like we did earlier, uh, just f- sitting still for five minutes a day and um, just saying the word Jesus in the silence of your heart. When I was a lawyer, I used to put little times through the week. Sometimes I used to go and sit in the loo and just do that, and no one will disturb you in the loo. They'll find you in other places, but you can do that at work, and just five minutes, just pray, Lord, do before a meeting, whatever. And then fourthly, are you ready for this? Are you still awake? Hello, St. Saviors. Are you still there? Are you ready for the fourth? Okay, this is it. Uh, we actually have an amazing group of people here who uh, are contemplative and into this spirituality. And um, they run retreat days, they run quiet days, they run weekends away. And, um, you know, I would... Uh, go and seek them out and um, spend time with them or do one of the events, have a go, and uh, join them on this journey. And, um, you know, the thing, what's so weird, should I tell you what's so weird about God uh, is that actually it's often when you do absolutely nothing that you'll be most fruitful or you'll encounter him most. And uh, there's a lesson in that, isn't there? In the sense of often we're running around doing this and that, la, 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 la. Actually, it's often when we're just still, we encounter him. And that contemplation actually leads to great action.